Well, I'll send you greetings from New York City, from the Bronx at that. Uh, you know, I, I live in, hey, all right. Uh, we've got this big apartment complex, many different units. The, there's only one rabid baseball fan in my entire apartment complex, however, and there is a massive Boston Red Sox logo on his vehicle. He's always wearing the gear. So we do have that. You know, he's right there in the middle of the Bronx, but he is representing you well. Uh, so I know you people in Boston are very smart, but I am going to teach you a word today. And I know I was going to te be teaching you a word because it's a created word from someone who doesn't speak English as their first language. Comes from a missionary that works with our organization, Global Gates. He lives in Queens now, originally from Chittagong, Bangladesh. And uh, his name is Russell. And Russell said, you know, I should have been killed in Bangladesh. I was Muslim, became a follower of Jesus, and they did not like that. So the imam wanted to give my father a sickle in the middle of the night to cut off my head to blot out the shame. My dad did not cut off my head in the middle of the night. You know why? And I said, no, no, why? Because God has, here's your word, super plan. I went, oh, okay. And he said, you know, I couldn't get married in Bangladesh because here it was arranged marriages. I was Muslim. I became a Christian. The Muslims did not trust me with one of their daughters. The Christian background people didn't trust me because I used to be Muslim. I went a Muslim to the Lord. Several years later, we're married. You see, God has super plan. I went, oh, okay, I'm starting to get it. He said, but everyone would try to kill me in Bangladesh. I would go from this place to this place, always trying to kill me. Finally, I came to America. Where there are over 150,000 Bangladeshis in New York City. And I'm sharing the gospel openly with all of these people, even with my family around the world, where in the past I have to be very cautious about what I say. And now the gospel is actually going forth in even more ways into Bangladesh and the Bangladeshi diaspora communities around the world. You see, God has... Super bland. Well, I like the word so much. I said, hey, let's work that into a book <laughs> because this is a word that American Christians need to hear. In this book, I kind of tell my story and their stories kind of intertwine. And the whole premise is that often we invite Jesus into our lives. And there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. But we sometimes limit his involvement to our lives. Here's my comforts, here's my security, here's my skills, here's what I'm doing. Lord, come enter into that and bless it. Yet when we look at the whole counsel of scripture, it's more that God wants us to lay down our lives and enter into a larger story around. A super plan, if you will. And that's certainly what my friend Russell realized. He did not come to America for the American dream. He came realizing that his presence here is part of a larger story of God redeeming all peoples to himself. I'm going to read these verses again from Acts 17 and look particularly at this highlighted portion here. Uh, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now, I, there's a saying in Bambara, I speak a language called Bambara, spoken in West Africa. And they have a proverb, a little pithy statement that encapsulates a lot of words. It says, which means a chicken's mouth is too small to blow a horn. 
And they use that in the context of sometimes you're just not important enough to speak about certain things. And I am not important enough or knowledgeable enough to talk about politics and immigration reform and all of those things, I'm not. However, I do know from this verse and from experience that in some way, in some form, God is behind the movements and the boundaries of people's habitations and when they live for a greater purpose. That in the beginning of of Acts, the start of the church, the dispersion of the Jewish Christian diaspora spread the gospel throughout the known world. We have missionaries with us with Global Gates from Kerala in India that trace their Christian heritage back to the Apostle Thomas, right? We have missionaries from Egypt that trace their heritage back to the Apostle Mark and so on that through migration, the gospel is spreading around the world. So today we're going to look at some sociological realities through the lens of scripture and God's revelation through Christ that have implications for our daily lives, especially in a global gateway city like Boston. I had a Muslim friend that was reading the scripture for the first time one time, and he was describing what it was like for him. He had never, anyone tried to read the Quran before? It's very difficult to kind of piece together. It's like the book of Ezekiel almost, and how it's all kind of dispersed. And, but he read scripture for the first time, and it read like a novel to him. He said, it's amazing. It's like, it's like a movie, and God is like the director and we are like actors and actresses, and some of us are like extras. And Satan, he is like the bad guy. But this movie is unfolding all around. And what he had realized that this story is not just one that describes something that happened so long ago. It is playing out all around us right now. And that is something we need to hear as American Christians. I liken it to maybe a chick flick or an action film where you, you all know how it's going to end. <laughs> you know the guy's going to get the girl. You know the guy's going to live and not get blown up by the 50 people surrounding him. But how is it going to unfold? How is it going to happen? How does that plot going to unfold? How does, he, how does it all happen even though you know the ending? Well, we know the ending and part of the ending of this scene is that God is saving a multitude from all peoples of the earth. A multitude. When we hear the great commission of go make disciples of all nations, we're familiar with that verse. We think nations, we think geopolitical countries, or at least I used to. And then you look at the Greek word for nations, it's ethnos or ethne in plural. It's where we get the word ethnic groups. There are two to three hundred geopolitical countries in this world. Depending on how you define it, there are around 17,000 people groups in the world today. Around 43% of those peoples are still unreached with the gospel of Christ. We have, I've lived among one of these groups. I, I've asked some of these groups, hey, why are you Muslim? And they say, they got here first. And you look back and They'd been there for a thousand years. And in essence, what they're saying is, if your way is true, and it really is the only way to salvation, why has it taken you so long to get here? And the fact is, 86% of the Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists around the world, which is a significant portion of the 8 billion people in the world, have never met a Christian. My calling to missions came from studying in England and met Japanese friends, and both of them said the same thing of why they couldn't follow Christ. They said, back in my country, 
I have never met a Christian. Oh, I said, well, I don't know much about being a missionary. They always look like freaks like me. And these were the people called to ministry that didn't, get fit, didn't fit into America, so God sent them overseas. And now that I'm a missionary, I realize that's true. But nevertheless, <laughs> I knew that I could go be the one Christian someone knows. And all of us in that room, in this room, can be that person. And they're here all around us. God is saving a multitude from all peoples of this earth. Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits in the throne and to the Lamb. I don't know how those 43% remaining unreached people groups are going to be saved, but we know there will be a multitude before the throne one day, and we get to be a part of that. In fact, you're living in the most exciting time for these peoples coming to Christ. A colleague of mine, David Garrison, wrote a book called Wind in the House of Islam and documented that there are 13 Muslim movements to Christ that took place in the first 1,400 years of Islam. And by movement, that means a thousand Muslim background people baptized as followers of Christ in one area in a period of a few years. Thirteen in the history of Islam until 2000, until basically 9-11. Since then, we're counting over 70 Muslim background movements to Christ around the world. We live in exciting times. There's a whole other narrative besides all the terrorism and all the fighting and everything going on. God is working in unprecedented ways around the world. The exciting thing is, he doesn't do this all by himself, although he could. He chooses to involve us in his super plan. This is a picture of William Carey, many consider to be the father of the modern missions movement. In 1792, as a young minister in England, not as educated as the other people in the room, not as experienced in the pastorate as other people in the room, he put forward a a manuscript, a paper, uh, called An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. Did you get that? That was only one-third of the title. I can't remember the rest. But the whole point was, we are sending... people to do merchandise, uh, merchants all over the world. But why are we not going and sharing the gospel? Why should we not use means, mission organizations, mission sending arms to spread the gospel around the world? He ended up going to India and really starting uh, this modern missionary movement that carries on till today. But as he uh, presented his inquiry before that group, there was an elder statesman that said, young man, sit down, you're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. And this elder statesman was basically saying, who are you? God doesn't need you. And in that sense, the person was right. God does not need us, but one thing he missed. God chooses us. 2 Corinthians 5, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation, actually calls us his ambassadors in this world his representatives in this world i don't completely understand all of that but the fact is god chooses finite people like you and i to be his representatives of truth and grace in this world peoples are migrating and connecting to cities in historical proportions the bible starts in a garden yes but 
the destiny of us and where the Bible ends is a city. You even read in Hebrews 11 where Abraham says, this man of faith, he was living in tents in the promised land, but longing for the city built and designed by God that has heavenly foundations. Around the world today, there are 280 million international migrants. That is double the number of 30 years ago. 30 years ago, you had 43% of the world's population that were urban. Today, that is 56%, and it is growing rapidly. Not only are people moving to cities, but those who are staying in rural areas are connected to cities in ways that they never have been able to. When I lived in Mali, West Africa, I lived in a mud hut, no electricity, no running water. Even today, 20 years later, no running water, no electricity. But you know what they have today, but they didn't have 20 years ago? Cell phones. Charged with a car battery. <laughs> Connected to big daddies and big mamas who've moved to cities. The world is migrated to and connected to our cities. Our cities are very complex, but one thing they are are conglomerations of distinct peoples. Uh, if you've traveled outside of Manhattan in Metro New York, you might wander across a little India, a little Colombia, a little Ecuador, a little Tibet, a little Africa, a little whatever. You can find it. There are those places in the greater Boston area as well. The map in the background of this slide is one of 800 plus documented languages spoken in New York City and where they found that language being spoken. There are a myriad of peoples who have migrated into cities. And with these distinct people groups, we have access in ways that we uh, have not had in, in previous times. When we lived in Mali, we've actually uh, went to Timbuktu. You've heard of Timbuktu? It is a real place. I have been there. It is in Mali, and it's difficult to get to. We actually rode camels in the desert. We went up by canoe. I think you can fly there, but that's cheating. Uh, so <laughs> we went to Timbuktu, the ends of the earth. The fact is, if we were to go from one unreached people group, one that had little to no Christian presence, to another unreached people group, it would take days, sometimes on washboard roads that would make you just get out and scream. It was very difficult to do. And you go into our big cities today, and often people from these unreached people groups, select groups, have moved into cities and are now living in the same apartment complex. You can walk 10 minutes and have interactions with dozens and dozens of members of unreached people groups. It does not make it necessarily easier culturally to bridge that divide, but it is certainly more accessible in ways we have never seen before. Our cities are the best and worst of humanity. You know, people will sometimes ask, do you love New York City? Yeah, we love it, we hate it. It's all of the above. You know, that's city life. There are things that are absolutely horrible because the worst of humanity is here. But it is also the best of humanity. You get that picture in the Bible as well of cities. The worst of is symbolized by Babel and later Babylon related Babel, you remember Jesus, uh, Noah came out of, the, out of the ark? They said, go be fruitful and fill the earth. Multiply and scatter and fill the earth. Instead, they stayed in one place. They built a city 
in order to make a name for themselves and ignoring the word of God. So our, our cities can be places of gross independence, of seeking to make names for ourselves, centers of rebellion, centers of evil. In Revelation 17.5, it refers to Babylon as the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. That is not a good picture. Christians in cities know very well the fall and the curse of sin on humanity. We experience it. We also realize there is no political platform, careful planning, or better leader that will absolutely cure this city. Jesus is the hope for the city. The picture of the best of cities is Jerusalem. It means the city of peace, the holy city. Even in Old Testament, when Solomon is praying the prayer of dedication, when the ark came into the temple, he said, when the foreigners come into this land and they pray towards this temple, Lord, may you hear their voice so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. And so that city was supposed to be a light for all nations, a, a, an instrument for God's grace to all peoples. And Revelation ends with a vision of a new Jerusalem, the, the eternal city. Cities are expressions of the gift of creativity endowed upon human beings by God. God appointed cities to offer protection and life. We see this in the cities of refuge in Numbers where people who had accidentally killed someone can go and start a new life. And a city offers that protection. And we see that today where people... Uh, for whatever reason, have bad relations, bad, uh, bad story about them wherever they're at, and they can kind of start anew, start fresh in our cities. God's common grace permeates the city and systems that defend and protect life, bring justice, show mercy, and work for the common good. And also in the cities, we have the greatest pictures of God's redemption. Because it's in cities where sin abounds, and where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so you have these incredible stories of people in the absolute pit that God has brought to new life. Cities influence, for better or for worse, the people within them. Uh, for a while, I started studying the ethnic groups of Metro New York and did a book called Ethnicity, the Nations, Tongues, and Faiths of Metro New York. One of the things that I, I loved and discovered in that research was the Ecuadorian community. They created their own word to talk about their new life in the city. They said, you know, back in Ecuador, the man, they, they won't cook, they won't do this, machismo, you know, all that. But in the city, you have to operate in a new way, the, the Ioni way. You have to operate in the Ioni way. In the, in the city, it's, it's all about Ioni, Ioni, Ioni. And the man has to change and adjust. And What is Ioni? They said, oh, I love in why? Ioni. The Ioni way. Oh. Cities influence the peoples within them. And whatever happens in cities influences the rest of the country and certainly now a globalized world. We certainly experienced that in the last year and a half with COVID. I remember March, April last year got hit hard. I had a bad case of COVID where I had major fatigue for 45 days. And then we started hearing about all the cases around the United States. And at one point, 
uh, probably someone from Boston, uh, they traced all of these cases of COVID back to New York City. And it was like 95% of the cases could be traced back to New York. What happens in our cities influences elsewhere. You also see this in Paul's strategy. Uh, he was certainly city-focused in his missionary journeys, so much so that when they went to, he wrote the, the letter to the church in Rome, he said, there's nowhere else in the region for me to preach here. I want you to send me to Spain. I don't want to step foot on anyone else's foundation. How could he say that? He could only say that because he had reached people in cities and he just knew if you start with the DNA of reaching the entire area, the gospel would naturally flow from the cities and reach the entire regions. There was nowhere else for him to preach. He'd reach the city. It's just going to spread out from there. And so he moved on. Last couple of years, had the privilege of, of knowing uh, this, this woman named, I'll call Mbai. Mbai is from Senegal. She is Wolof. There are 7 million Wolof in the world. Maybe 300 known Christians and missionaries have been working among them for decades. Well, Mbai is not only Wolof, but she's from a particular Islamic sect that is very powerful into magic and sorcery and will do all sorts of things to retain their people and, and conform to their beliefs. Among her Islamic sect, we know a handful of believers, or at least we used to, until Mbai comes to faith in Christ. She had... Uh, all the sickness and illness that she couldn't get rid of. She spent tens of thousands of dollars from Muslim sorcerers to try to get rid of her illness. And then all of a sudden she has this dream where she is chained down to the bones, chained to the ground. And in this dream that recurred several times, finally Jesus comes and appears to Mbai and gives her a gentle touch on the arm and those chains turn to cords and released her. She started investigating Jesus after that, and she started reading the Bible and, and going to a church and becomes a baptized follower of Christ. I was there at her baptism. She said to me afterwards, I don't care if they kill me. I have to tell Africa about Jesus. I have to tell my people about Jesus. My people will not like this. They will resist it, but my people need the hope that Jesus provides. Remember, only dozens of Wolof believers among her Islamic sect, only a few, 300 known believers among the entire group. Within a year and a half, she had led 15 family members and friends to Christ of her people. They were in Florida, they were in New York, they were in Canada, they were in France, they were in Italy, and they were back in Senegal. And last year, she moved back to her country to continue her witness there. What happens in cities spreads out and influences other places. Our global gateway cities, through migration, through technology, these have become the new Roman roads for spreading the good news of Jesus to the unreached peoples and places of the world. Remember in the book of Acts, the gospel spread along Roman roads that had been built. Those were how the gospel went forth as they went from city to city along Roman roads. Today's Roman roads are migration and technology. It has connected the world, and the gospel needs to be a part of those conversations. Uh, this is a great COVID story that came out. Actually, the same guy who coined the word super plan. He was sitting there in, uh, in the spring of last year. The Bangladeshi community got hit hard. Maybe 700 Bangladeshis in New York City died from COVID last year. He personally knows 41 that he had witnessed to even prior uh, to their death. 
And so everyone was hunkered down inside, and he said, what can we do? And they started a Zoom meeting, as everyone did this last year. And in these Zoom meetings, Bangladeshi Muslim background Christians from around the world, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Dubai, London, Paris, Toronto, the rest of the U.S. started gathering three hours a day, every day, for fellowship, for prayer, for study of the Word of God. That grew to four to 500 people within weeks. Muslims started investigating this Christian community because it was so dynamic. They elected elders. They were uh, taking up finances to take care of each other's needs. They were training each other in evangelism. 200 Muslim background people through a Zoom meeting that was started in Queens 200 Muslim background people have been baptized as followers of Christ through that group in the last year. In the midst of COVID, you know, a lot of us are kind of like when we go to the beach and you're not used to waves and you just kind of, you want to bear down and the wave just crashes, you just want to get rid of it. And instead, we need to kind of release our legs a little bit and ride the wave of this because it's often in times of disruptions like COVID that God advances his kingdom in new ways. God can do a new something in you and around you because of these disruptions. Some practical, oh, let me review this. So God is, if you think about this movie unfolding around us, God is saving a multitude from all peoples of the earth. God chooses us to be involved in his super plan, even though he doesn't need you. And peoples are migrating and connecting to cities in historical proportions. Our cities are conglomerations of distinct peoples. And the cities are the most strategic and accessible places to reach a diversity of peoples. They reflect the worst and best of humanity. They influence the peoples within them. The city's peoples influence the rest of the country in a globalized world. Global gateway cities, migration, and technology are new Roman roads for spreading the good news of Jesus to the unreached peoples and places of the world. Here are some practical steps to embrace God's super plan in cities. First is simply to develop God's compassion for the city and pray for its salvation. I live in a city, I've lived in Harlem in the South Bronx for 15 and a half years. I know there are some days you just want to hold on and let that wave crash over you and hope it ends, right? A city can be hard. Some of the times we can get like Jonah towards Nineveh where you really want it to be destroyed. It just seems so bad. But the whole point of Jonah, that whole book was about God's compassion for all peoples, not just Jonah's peoples. And even though Jonah was obedient in proclaiming God's word in the city, he did not get to the point of developing God's heart for the city. Develop God's heart and compassion for the city, which is a supernatural thing sometimes. But don't just react to the city with whatever happens to you and the emotions around it. Develop God's heart for it. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Sodom and Gomorrah are another bad picture of cities in the Bible, but what does Abraham do? Will you save it if there are 50 righteous? If there are 45, if there are 40, 30, 20, 10, he pleaded with God having his compassion even for Sodom and Gomorrah. Develop that for your city. Bless the city and don't just use it. Our cities are full of people who come here to get whatever it has to offer and get out of here as soon as possible and go to somewhere more comfortable, right? Uh, come here, pad your resume, come here, get your education, and then get out as soon as possible. 
In Jeremiah 29.7, when God is addressing the exiles in Babylon, it said, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the prosperity of the city. Contribute to it. Don't just be users of it. Be salts and light here. Stay as long as possible. We need followers of Christ to infuse the gospel into every aspect of the city. Be intentional where you live, shop, and play. Many of us, because of all of the sensory overload that we get in a city, you get into the tea or you get anywhere else, you just shut off. But if we are a little bit intentional about where we shop, about even where we live, about what we do with our hobbies, what we do at our workplace, we can be that one person someone knows that is a follower of Christ. You can go get your groceries delivered or you can go buy your groceries from that Arabic store. You know, which one will give you more of a natural opportunity to be involved in God's super plan of seeing other people's reached for him? Be an intentional gospel witness with your existing relationships, not even anything new necessarily, but among your coworkers, among your fellow students, people in your neighborhood. Be an intentional witness. One of our best missionaries in the city is originally a Fulani Muslim from Guinea, came to faith in Paris because there was, a, in her IT job, someone who didn't just treat her as a co-worker to do business with, but prayed for her actively throughout the day, sought opportunities just to get to know her story and what was going on in her life and how wisdom from the scripture could speak into it and ended up giving her some resources in her language just to investigate and give her thoughts. And through that, the power of God's word and the, the persistent testimony of this coworker, not a professional missionary, she comes to faith in Christ and now she is the most effective missionary among West African Muslim women in North America. Eventually was called to be a missionary in New York. Use your gifts for God's global mission. In pioneer missions in the past, the kind of skills you needed to survive were more like Indiana Jones than today, right? We're going to go out, first missionaries would pack a coffin with them, we're not expecting to come back, or they're roaming through Africa as a big expedition. You know, today, the modern missionary in cities needs to be a lot of what you kind of look like and do. People that are using their professional skills to have inroads that maybe professional missionaries wouldn't have inroads into. Even evangelists and church planners in cities focused on people groups with language skills and all of that, they need the professional skills that you have to offer in IT and graphic design and social media and so forth. So use your professional skills for God's global mission. A couple of opportunities uh, we developed this new website over the last uh, couple of months called upgnorthamerica.com. And what we're doing with this is allowing you to even take virtual prayer walks through some of the most significant unreached people group communities in North America. And if you happen to be in one of these cities, uh, where you can do that in person for visiting their places of worship, their grocery stores, their community centers, and so forth. Uh, take a virtual prayer walk 15 minutes a week and have your heart, heart stirred for these communities here. 
Be inspired to find your role in God's super plan. That's my book's website, but there is a free resource there called Next Step Ideas or something along those lines for all sorts of ways that you can take next steps in God's super plan, from learning, from welcoming immigrants, from, uh, from going, from sending, and so forth. Take a short-term trip to New York City uh, to learn how to share Jesus with the unreached. That's, uh, we have all sorts of opportunities for that with our organization. Park Street already has a lot of other things going on here with English and everything else where you can naturally uh, have these relationships built. Reflect on your skills and giftings. Reflect on the deep needs in the city. Reflect on not your own heart and compassion for the city, but God's heart and compassion for the city and allow that to stir within you to find your own unique role in God's super plan. Let's pray. Lord, you are doing amazing things all around this world and sometimes we can kind of get bogged down in the weeds of all the bad news happening in our cities and around the world. But if we look through the lens of your redemptive story, of your super plan, we see something else at play. You are using all of these events, all the trauma, all the, the disruptions, and you're using it for a greater purpose, shifting people's boundaries and times of their habitations so that they might seek you and know you. Help us to be a part of your work. In Jesus' name, amen.